Greetings and welcome to another edition of the Daily Sun Sports Podcast. My name is Jeff Shane, specialty editor at the Daily Sun. With me is Drew Schultry. We're going to talk a little bit of spring high school sports playoffs as a, a number of teams have now gone into postseason with a certain amount of success. Uh, after this, we'll uh, actually take a look at spring football as yesterday, being Monday, was the first day of spring football for both the Villages High School and Wildwood as they look to uh, what uh, is going to come in the fall, a little bit of retooling, rebuilding from uh, some losses the past season. And then, of course, Drew and I will sit down in the final podcast. Drew and I will sit down in the final segment and talk a little bit of golf. We have a new major champion and maybe a new LPGA player to uh, start looking at as Lilia Vu finally uh, hits her stride on the LPGA Tour and wins the Chevron Championship. We'll look at that and uh, the other events that were going on last week. But, uh, Drew, the spring season always has a lot of sports and sometimes it's hard to keep the juggle going but uh, we've got of course some very good teams that are looking at going far in in the spring yeah I feel like I've been busier this spring than I ever have in the past we've had some some deeper playoff runs from some teams than we've seen we've got some new sports uh, that are making deep playoff runs and of course uh, the track and field teams here have just been uh, unbelievable and we'll get to them in just a moment so yeah I feel like this is always an exceptionally busy time and this year especially so just because of the the level that some of these teams are competing at and you mentioned track and uh, maybe that's the one that is at the top of the chart right now uh, both VHS and Wildwood uh, producing some district titles for the VHS girls for the Wildwood boys and looking very strong as they look ahead to the regionals in a little over a week. Yeah, just starting on the VHS side, they're sending a ton of athletes through to the regionals, and that girls team is so, so dominant. I mean, they could clean up the region as well. They scored 280 points. That's amazing. At the team. I mean, that's an unbelievable figure. And just, you know, for reference, there are, what, 24 events? So 24, 25, 24 yeah. events. I mean, and so you you can get 10, 10 points for first place, eight points for second place, six for third, and then it's five, four, three, two, one. So, you know, eight players can score in a given event. But I mean, that means that they would have had to win so many first places, not to mention, you know, following in behind their leaders. And that's the thing is that team is so, so deep. There were multiple events where they swept the top three spots, uh, the pole vault, the, uh, the 800 and... Uh, I believe the high jump, uh, one of the jumps, they they took all first, second, third. And so, I mean, you're just cleaning up tons and tons of points right there. But the it's not just sheer numbers with this VHS team. It's that they have big numbers with real, real quality, uh, especially at the top, but all the way up and down that lineup. And it's really impressive how they've been able to build that girls program over the last couple of years. They were so dominant last year, scoring over 100 points at every single meet, 280 though. It's, it's a program record, but it's just a staggering figure. I've never seen it. I've seen teams absolutely run away with meets before. I've never seen anyone score 280. And to do it at a district meet uh, it, with – you know, qualifications on the line with a district title on the line uh, with everyone supposedly hitting their peaks at about this time of year. That's a really, really impressive mark to hit. Here's a point of reference. I was doing the math in my head. If you were to add up the point totals for second, third and fourth, they would still finish behind VHS. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. So, I mean, in theory, yeah, if you took the best athletes from the next three schools, uh, VHS still still cleaned up on the girls' side. So uh, that, that program has just been ridiculous. Those girls have gotten so competitive, and they're so strong. And I, the way that they've kind of grown as a group where a lot of these girls came in where track and cross country were kind of secondary sports for them or they were you know, great distance runners that learned other disciplines. Um, I think that Leah Byron is you know, a, a perfect example of a student athlete. She's a, a great academic student, but also just an absolute go-getter when it comes to track and field and cross country. She played golf as well. She's an all-around athlete. She does the pole vault. She does distance running. I mean, she is uh, just, just an unbelievable kid. Uh, and she's kind of one of the leaders of that group. But that girls team has gotten so strong. And I think that their competitive drive has developed over the years. And I think they've started to understand last year what a special thing they had going. And they've really leaned into that this year. And, I mean, they are 
you know, I, I think that they could clean up that region again. And there's a good chance with the number of girls that they have moving on right now, there's a chance that they've got a shot at uh, getting into the top five, maybe even top three when we talk about the state championships. I was just about to ask, and it's hard sometimes to compare region to region. A lot of these point totals is based on who you're going against, and so you got to go deeper into the, the times and the distances, but that's that's an impressive thing. Yeah, and the biggest thing at this point is just it's about numbers. When you're talking about team titles from this level on, it's about how many kids you can get into the next meet. And so top four from each event qualify the villages, again, cleaning up top three spots in multiple events sending multiple players in multiple events in the top four that's going to be big for them they're going to have a ton of athletes going through to that next round and again everything is going to get tougher you're talking about better competition you're talking about more schools when you get into the regional rounds but other events also get diluted and so if they're the top end talent which i are i think they are for events like the four by 800 the 800 meter races i mean these are uh, their middle and long distance stuff is really 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 good and so if they can continue to get multiple entrants through in some of those events, that puts them in contention. The boys also had a really good performance, um, not necessarily a district championship, but they're going to go into regional strong. Yeah, the boys had a, had a good meet as well. They finished, I think, uh, 12 points behind Hudson, so not too far off. Um, you know, a good meet for them as well. They lost a couple of guys over the course of this year, but uh, you know they're looking great as well. Ben Willis does a great job coaching those programs, does a great job balancing both the, the boys and the girls' sides. He's got a great support staff as well. Um, it, the group of coaches over there at the Villages High School have put in a lot of work to get these guys into contention. And um, you know, a really solid meet. Hudson, I don't know much about them. They kind of came out of nowhere. It's not a school I was familiar with. And uh, so they obviously came with a pretty strong program because those two schools were far and away the biggest point getters. It was basically a contest between those two teams. Um, and Hudson just ended up getting the better end of it. Sure. Now let's go over and take a look at the Wildwood side of things. The Wildwood boys take away their first district title in five years, and it wasn't necessarily easy. They went to Mount Dora Christian and beat Mount Dora Christian on their own track. Yeah, and Mount Dora Christian has, over the last couple of years, they've known that Wildwood is their competition, and they have designed their slate of who does what events, how many athletes they put in certain events, specifically to beat Wildwood in the team competition. They did it again this year, and Wildwood was just too good. And this team, I mean, it's... They're one of the most impressive groups that I've seen just because these guys are so dang competitive. I mean, they are absolutely a gutsy, gutsy group. Uh, it, I mean, it started with the first running event of the day. They're in second place behind Circle Christian. Uh, Francisco Vargas is back about 10 yards coming to the first handoff in the 4 by 8 and so Damian Spurrier takes that second leg, makes a nice charge out the gate. And, you know, you can see the development right away from a young kid where he made his initial push, realized he wasn't going to catch the kid all at once. So he drops back into his pace and then caught him on the last lap, gets his team the lead going into the third leg. Emery Strickland holds on to it. And if you hand off to Kamarius Worthen in an 800 with the lead, there's nobody that he's losing it to. So, I mean, just a, a really impressive start for them. And they finished in the same way, uh, going to get a qualifying spot in the 4x4. Four um, a huge two-mile run from Spurrier in the, the 3,200 right before that. That's a kid who had already run three events that day. It was close to 90 degrees on a track that encloses an artificial surface. I mean, it was absolutely scorching down on that track. Wow. And he's dying. He's coming off of a hip injury that he's not fully healed from, and he pushed for a second-place finish in that 3,200 to basically ice out Mount Dora Christian going into the 4x4. So, I mean, just everything throughout the day. The, the throwers were great. We knew that the Javelin team was going to be awesome. They took three of the top four spots. Uh, actually, four of the top five, but only three of them get to move on, which is one of the the tough things. Very tough um, when you when you're you know on a team that that that's that talented. And Samuel Parker from Circle Christian is far and away the state favorite. He's got a pretty big lead on the second place guy in the state, and then there's a big drop off from there. So uh, that's a guy that next year will kind of be out of the way, and it's feasible that Wildwood could be taking the top four spots in the javelin. But Parker is kind of in a class of his own in one A. So we knew that one of those guys was not going to make it through. Uh, as it so happens, it was Emery Strickland, who was a state competitor last year. He's the most veteran guy in that group. Uh, and unfortunately, he faulted on his best throw of the day. 
Mm. So a, a tough out for him. But, I mean, Armand Grable throwing by far a career best on one of the weirdest throws I've ever seen. It <laughs> got almost no lift. There's no way it got more than 15 feet off the ground, but he covered 44 meters with it. Uh, so, I mean, just <laughs> a ridiculous throw. Uh, Taylor Keeler didn't have his best stuff, but he still had a good mark. Judson, uh, Judson Nichols uh, set a new school record. To, to lead the Wildcats in that one. So, uh, but then in the the shot put and the discus, Tamarion uh, and Terion uh, did a really good job. Bryant did a really really good job, second and third in both the discus and shot put. And in total, the throws scored fifty one points for Wildwood out of one hundred and fifty seven that they That's scored fantastic. to win the meet. It's it's a really really impressive mark, and it's something that Wildwood's never had. They've always been kind of reliant on sprinters for the most part, and right now it's their distance runners and their throwers that are putting up all the points for them uh, or the bulk of the points for them so it's it's really impressive how they've invented themselves it's a real credit to uh, Don Winters and Robbie Strickland the throwing coach and the running coach at Wildwood that they've you know built this program with this kind of depth and coached these kids who came in with really not a lot of experience uh, and turned them into state caliber athletes they've got guys in those events now where they previously didn't have entrance at the district meet that are going to go to the state meet as long as they can keep putting up these kind of marks. What's their prospectus in regions and even state? I think that they'll move a lot of kids on from regionals. I don't know that they have the top end talent to contend for a state title. I don't think they have the depth either. Uh, You're looking at, I think, 17 events uh, across like nine athletes on the boys' side. So, I mean, the, the relay teams are really solid. They have a chance to, you know, go finish top eight at state. They could go get points in those. Uh, I think that the, the throwers could maybe get some, some placements. I think that certainly uh, Judson, Armand, and Taylor could end up in that top ten at state in the javelin. Uh, Terry on Bryant, I think, has a real shot. Just the way that he's improved over the last three weeks to a month in the discus and the shot, which he just started doing shot put. Uh, just a few weeks ago and was already second in, in the district and his marks are going up significantly every single meet. So I think that those guys could could score some points as well. Uh, one I'm interested to see, Tyrese Keeler, who's a sophomore, just started running track this year, does not do a good job of getting off the blocks, but won the 100-meter dash. <laughs> he didn't qualify in the 200 um, because he looked like he was running a four when he started. And so, but I mean, I, that's a kid that has top end speed. And if he figures out how to get that opening burst, I think could be a really, really impressive sprinter. Um, I'm, I'm happy that he's moving on to the 100 and he's going to spend a lot of time focusing on that over the next week and a half before the regional meet. So I think there are some guys that could go and make some impressions at the state meet. I certainly think that the four by eight team, uh, especially when they're at full strength and healthy is really, really good. Uh, and then I think a couple of the distance guys, Damian Spurrier and Kamarius Worthen could, could do some stuff as well as individuals. And then the Wildwood girls also had a third place finish. They had a third place finish and they were missing a couple of their, their better athletes. Mm-hmm. So they, they dropped off a little bit in the relays, uh, not having a couple of them there. And uh, also, uh, didn't get the points that they normally would have in a couple of the sprinting events. So probably wouldn't have made up the difference with Mount Dora Christian, who were super deep this year. But uh, that might have or likely would have been enough to vault them over seven rivers who ended up taking seconds. So no trophy for the Wildwood girls. First time in a while that that's happened. I think they'll be fine when they get into regionals. The thing about them is they don't have a big group this year, but their top-end talent is elite. I mean, you're looking at a lot of first-place finishes, like Shakiri Edwards in the hurdles, Emma Strickland in the javelin. The 4 by 100 team is going to win at regionals. The 4 by 400 team is going to contend at regionals. Um, you're getting Ja'Kyra Corbin back into that 4 by 4 and 4 by one group. So, I mean, they are going to be near the top of the leaderboards and the events that they compete in. They're just not going to be in as many events. I see. We had VHS tennis reach a new height in their sport, getting to the regional final and having a chance to get to the state tournament for the first time. Uh, It was kind of a third fight in the trilogy, so to speak, against Mount Dora is what it came down to. Of course, Mount Dora wins the regular season VHS takes the district title in a very tight battle with with Mount Dora and Eustace and uh, another school. But when they go back to head to head again 
at the uh, regional final, Mount Dora is able to pull away, take a uh, 4-2 victory. And for them, it's also their first chance to go to the state tournament. So congratulations to Mount Dora, falling just a little bit short. Uh, you saw them at districts. I saw them at uh, the, the regional final. Uh, th- this is a team that's got a lot of talent um, and a lot of depth, which I think really helped carry them. But Mount Dora We'll use the track term top end talent there. Yeah, absolutely. When you talk about especially their first two in the order, uh, Rachel Deering is arguably the best player in the district. She won the first singles competition. So I think that, you know, that's pretty safe to say. Um, although uh, Alina Rasman might be coming for her. She's maybe not the same sort of physical specimen that Rachel Deering is, but very, very in- impressive player as a freshman. Uh, so we'll see with another year of development when they go head-to-head sophomore, senior, what that rivalry looks like. But, yeah, their top two with Rachel Deering and Brooke Miller are just so strong, too too much to overcome for VHS. When you don't have a true ace, when you don't have that powerful number one, uh, you're just not going to be able to contend with them because uh, – you got to beat Rachel. You got to contend with Rachel head to head, and then in first doubles, the two of them together are as good a pair as you'll find uh, in the district. So uh, that's that's tough right there. You're already talking about one, two, and probably three losses out of seven, uh, unless you have that really strong contender at the top. So you've got to win the rest of them, and that was kind of the recipe for VHS. They had to win three through seven, and the second double, or three through five, and the second doubles. Excuse me, and they just. Couldn't quite get it done. Couldn't quite get it done. And it doesn't help either when your number one, who is going up against Rachel Deering, is dealing with some shoulder issues. She's been dealing with it. Rayleigh Pounds has been dealing with it all year. But they actually changed the rotation in the regional final. Mount Dora's coach was uh, not all that happy about it. But uh, Rayleigh Pounds went in for some physical therapy to try and get that left shoulder to loosen up and so they went two through five at the start uh, but uh, Rayleigh Pounds going up against Rachel Deering it's a tough draw anyway but I think that uh, Deering was just able to jump all over that it would have been interesting I I, I got to thinking do you as a coach do you change it up because Rayleigh is hurt do you drop her to number two maybe give Deering a different look uh, by sending um by sending Peyton Gardner out, I don't know. Maybe the the result is just the same, but it was very tough for really. Yeah, I think it. I think it's difficult. One of the things that, especially in a situation where you're playing a number one like Rachel Deering, is that Peyton Gardner's not especially effective against hard hitters, and okay. so when they have a situation where Rayleigh's not available. We saw this during the regular season. Uh, Ellen Brooks actually jumps up into that number one spot just because of her. Uh, she's a little more, more capable at fielding and returning you know, a hard hitter. She's really good at net play, uh, so she's a little more equipped to, to contend with that. Gardner is more of a, a long uh, a long point, long set, draw it out, win with athleticism and endurance type of player. Um, so it, it gets kind of dicey. I'm also not sure. I think that once you slot a player into a spot at districts, as long as they're available to play, they have to continue playing in that same ah. slot. So I don't think, unless you're taking Rayleigh out of the lineup, that you can um, that you can sub her. Mess with the lineup. Uh, yeah, exactly. So and and then it has to be a direct slot up to where you would be having to move Peyton Gardner into that number one, and so on and so forth, and then putting in an alternate down in your fifth singles. So interesting. I, I don't think that again once you have your group that you qualify with through districts. That kind of has to be the group all the way up through. The other match that maybe kind of was the turning point in the regional final was at number four singles where um, Morgan Chandler was able to get out to an early lead, take the first set, but then Mount Dora's Emma Davis roared back in the second set, took the second set, and then eventually won a pretty good tiebreaker. They were they were tied 5-5 midway through that tiebreaker, but then three consecutive long rallies that ended with Chandler hitting wide kind of gave Davis the advantage and was able to close that one out 10-7. And uh, that was a point that VHS really needed to overcome 
the top end talent at Mount Dora. Yeah, that's when they absolutely had to have Morgan Chandler won the fourth singles competition at the the district tournament. I don't believe that she ended up playing Mount Dora's number four in that bracket, but uh, made it all the way through the final would have been against Vanguard. And uh, that girl ended up withdrawing because uh, she had to take the SAT that day. Um, but weak excuse. Well, she's trying to get into MIT. <laughs> oh, so well. We'll, we'll give her some. We'll give her some grace <laughs> on that. I, given given the choices, um, and and I don't think that uh, that outcome could have affected the the team standing too much, uh, given where Mount Dora and the villages were. So, um, again, giving giving her a pass. But uh, yeah, that's a point that they needed. That's a point that they're going to need in pretty much every meet uh, against against quality competition. Again, they rely so much on that three through five and really two through five a lot of the time to kind of push them over the top. And uh, Morgan Chandler's been great in tiebreakers this year, obviously was undefeated in them at districts, is, um, was able to get through that to um, to help get that uh, extra points from the number four singles bracket, ended up having to win a tiebreaker in the regional semifinals, did great in that one, uh, really ran away with the third set tiebreaker uh, in that one. Uh, I think won ten to five after starting out five zero or something like that. So, I mean, she's she's been solid in those situations, and and to see her you know lose that one is a little bit disappointing. I'm sure if you're Tony Simonelli, and she's probably the one that over the last few weeks has caused him the most distress, <laughs> just because she finds herself in those tiebreakers. But she's been so solid in them again. So, uh, I'm I'm sure that they were hoping to to get that point out of that match, but um, obviously that did did not develop that way so. and and does does not take away from the most successful season in vhs girls tennis history yeah. uh, getting to the regional final for the first time and there's only one place to go from there and that would be going to states but they will have to go up against a mount dora team that didn't lose anybody or won't lose anybody going into next year either so we're still gonna have to deal with rachel deering and brooke miller Moving on to flag football, talking about juggernauts of a sort, the Wildwood Wildcats are just rolling through the districts. They they faced a little bit of a tough competition in the district final before winning it, but before that, they hadn't given up a point. Yeah, hadn't surrendered a point on defense and still hadn't up until the last play of the first half of the district final against Mainland, and even that one was a little bit controversial. Um, there was some initiated contact in that one that allowed Mainland to score. And so, uh, you know, Wildwood argued the call and were told they, you know, they were rebuffed. And so they found themselves in a similar situation in the second half, ran the exact same play and it was called back for the penalty. So a <laughs> uh, little bit of a, again, controversial, the first touchdown they gave up. Mainland did score one legitimately on a great post route, um, but so they, you know, they got some, they got some uh, inarguable points, I guess, undis- indisputable points against that Wildwood defense, which has been so strong. But still, only 16 points surrendered so far this year, uh, compared to 300 and something scored in total, is, a, is still a pretty good ratio yeah. <laughs> uh, when you're outscoring teams by a, a 50 to one uh, kind of margin. And maybe the the district final kind of just make sure that Wildwood stays focused as they go into these regionals now. They are the number one seed on their side of the bracket. They play Somerset Academy Canyons in their opener on Wednesday night, 6 p.m. at Wildwood. But this is a team that has a excellent chance of making it to the state. Yeah, it, it honestly is. They're ranked fifth in 1A right now, so a team that you would expect to be, you know, at least on the edge of that. There are two teams in the same region that are uh, in that top four, so one of them has to knock the other out in order before you get to the state final four. So Wildwood, in theory, would be a favorite to be in that state semifinal. Uh, and then the other advantage for them is Mainland and Jones, who are considered to be the two next best teams in that region they're playing each other in the first round in a 3-6 matchup jones uh out of orlando is going to have their shot at mainland who wildwood beat earlier uh like we just said in that district tournament so uh have to imagine that a rematch with mainland wouldn't be the worst thing for wildwood Uh, i think that they understand they played pretty poorly in that first half they were officiated very hard and very differently than they have been all year for most of that game and they dropped a lot of passes as well. And so there's a world where they end up blowing out that mainland team in that game about as much as could have gone right for mainland in that first half did 
uh, based on what Wildwood kind of allowed. Uh, and so you have to think coming back home, they would feel pretty good about winning that rematch again as well. And then that Jones team actually had a really tight game with Trinity Catholic earlier this season, and Wildwood beat Trinity Catholic pretty handily earlier in the regular season. So um, have to imagine that they feel equipped to handle either one of those matchups. And it's just a matter of continuing to execute and getting through this regional bracket. But yeah, they're absolutely one of the most talented teams, um, at least on this side of the, the state bracket. And I could absolutely see them being in Jacksonville in a couple weeks. And, and a team that's got a lot of chemistry that uh, it's a team that went to the state final four in girls basketball. Yeah, most of this group <laughs> is part of that girls basketball team, all except for a few. You've got uh, Ja'Kyra Corbin, Kendall Brown, who are on the track team together and um, a couple others as well that were not part of that uh, state runner-up basketball team last year but it is a very tight group they love playing for Vince Brown uh they're they're extremely close and I think that all of them kind of jumped into the sport just because it was fun this was something that was uh, a casual outlet it was it was just enjoyable for them and then they've kind of realized over the course of the season how good they actually were yeah and so I still don't think that there's a massive emotional investment in this but they're putting in some work now and starting to take it pretty seriously and understanding that they really have a chance to contend for a state title. And, and so I think that they're going to they're gonna give it what they've got. They're going to take their best shot at it. And, uh, they, again, they start their regional play Wednesday night, 6 p.m., home game against Somerset Academy Canyons. They've got to drive all the way up from Boynton Beach, which can't help their cause either. Yeah, that's a, it's not an easy drive, and that's the thing. Flag football is so scattered right now. There's only the two classifications, and then the regions are so spread out. So, I mean, we saw teams from Daytona Beach in a region with Wildwood and teams from Ocala, Marion County. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's pretty, <laughs> pretty all over the place. Should be interesting. That'll do it for the first segment, the playoff segment, I suppose, of the Daily Sun Sports podcast. When we come back, JT Wilcox will sit in with us. Drew and JT will take a look at spring football as both teams get an early jump on training, and we'll talk about it right after this. With 24 first-place decorations in the 2019 Florida Press Club Awards, the Village's Daily Sun brings first-class journalism to the nation's fastest-growing community every day. Stay informed with the nation's fastest-growing newspaper. Subscribe to The Daily Sun by calling 352-753-1119. It is late spring, and it's that time of year when a young man's mind turns to football. What else? <laughs> I was waiting to see where that oh, plane was going man. to land. <laughs> I thought this might be our last podcast right. for a half second. You know me better than that. Anyway, Jeff Shane uh, with uh, you back again as we uh, resume the Daily Sun Sports Podcast. Drew Shaltree is uh, with me again. We welcome in JT Wilcox. And yes, we are going to talk about spring football. Uh, it is the start of the uh, spring football sessions for both VHS and Wildwood. Both of them were granted a waiver for an early start, so they uh, get to break in their plethora of young players uh, a little bit sooner but uh, it's an interesting as all springs are an interesting time of year when you're trying to kind of figure out what the pieces are after people leave and uh, JT we'll start with you in that a uh, little bit different this year compared to recent years for Richard Pettis and VHS they are coming off a losing season, a non-playoff season, uh, a team that was hit by some key injuries, but uh, looking for a lot of pieces, trying to get back to where we all expect them to be. Absolutely, and thanks for having me in. Um, you look at this VHS team, and Richard Pettis, you're 21, and it's you talk to him after day one, and you kind of expect kind of the whole home, kind of like, yeah, you know, we got out there. So we, No, he was ready to go. And he was his energy was not something that you maybe would expect of someone going into year 21 who's been there and done that so many times. Uh, so that's definitely a great thing to see. Uh, but the big thing is for me is the return, the healthy return of Quasarian Kennedy. Uh, getting Q Kennedy back is going to be, I think, it can be huge for this team. We really saw 
his absence, we felt it all last season, losing him almost a year to almost coming up on a year to date when we lost him or when VHS lost him uh, to that knee injury. So getting him back, getting a, a spring opportunity, go through summer conditioning as well to kind of get back in the rhythm fully. He did make a healthy return. He played basketball in the state finals. Uh, game for for the Buffalo. So getting him back on the football field, I think is going to be huge. He gives that extra release valve because everyone knows it's Alvon Isaac. It was the Alvon Isaac show last year. Yes. And so now getting it can be the Alvon and Q show. Uh, so that, I think that'll be big for VHS this upcoming season. And just to that point, I think, you know, JT's absolutely right in that missing that one player kind of compounds the difficulty on the second one. It's not just a, it gets doubly hard. It's, it's that everybody is now focused on you when there's a second player, a second playmaker in an offense, it changes so much. It's not just that one extra player could focus on Alvon. The entire defense of every game was focused on Alvon Isaac. So when you have Kuzorian Kennedy who can make plays over the top, make plays underneath, he can do the same kind of things as Alvon and move around the field and start, uh, start plays from different positions. So just having him, back in the fold already that's a massive improvement for VHS at least on the offensive side and the kid's a good enough athlete he can play some defense as well. Sure absolutely you mentioned that that Pettis was up and ready to go and it occurs to me that for a lot of coaches sometimes coming off that down season really puts the the spice back into them a little bit because now they have to do a little bit more coaching. They're just they're not fine-tuning a team that has had yet another undefeated regular season and made it almost to the regional final. This is a team that maybe needs a little work, needs a little coaching up. And he spoke to that to that uh to that fact. He said, you know, there there are some guys coming back like you, like Alvon, you know, like Deshaun Bellamy, who they're expecting to come maybe step into a, a big role defensively, like DJ uh DJ Johnson, who also on the defensive line as well, who can be a big-time playmaker and really because of the size he has. But he said, we have a lot of young guys that are looking like deer in the headlights. And he's like, but that's the part that we want. We want to, That's why we're here. We're coaching it up. We want to coach them up, get them ready to play and see that development. So there's, there, there's a bit of that mix, that middle ground, where they have some of those older guys, more experienced guys, that they know the, know the system, know the program, understand what the expectations are. But the coaching staff is excited about some young guys that they can feel that can come out and, and be uh, key pieces for this upcoming season. How do the older players bring these younger players along at VHS? Well, the big thing is is, is leadership by example, I think, a lot of it. I mean, because anybody can go out there and say, oh, yeah, come on, guys, let's go do this. Or, hey, let's go out there and do that. But are you backing it up each and every day in the weight room? in the classroom, in the film study room? Are you going out there and actually doing what, being coachful, doing what the coaches want you to do? Uh, so young players see that. They see guys, you know, staying late, coming early, making sure they're, you know, if there's a certain dress code, making sure that they're meet, meeting and matching that dress code for what the, whatever, the, whatever the player, whatever the coaches want. If they're doing that, leading by example, I think that's how you help bring those young guys along. You show them the way. Did Coach Pettis give any indication about where his eyes maybe are in terms of, I need a defensive stalwart or I need better protection up front? Where, where's, where is he looking in this spring? Well, you know, Coach Pettis is a guy. He's going to make sure that he's like, oh, we're, going, we're trying to get better everywhere. He's, sure. He's, he's, he's got that old ball coach kind of mentality. And I know it. it's going to take a little time for you to start reading between those lines. Absolutely. But one thing, just kind of looking at it myself, you look at this offensive line graduated three big pieces. Uh, three guys that, you know, had a lot of good size, played a lot of football for them this past season. So I think their offensive line is going to be – uh, how they're able to replace those guys and develop uh, some new pieces, I think, will be a big thing. And we'll, that's something that I'll be looking at this spring and probably have a lot of conversations with uh, Coach Pettis about being a former offensive lineman myself. <laughs> My focus always goes right there. Uh, and any any person worth their salt, any coach worth their clipboard and headset knows uh, that the offensive line play is going to be crucial all season. So did he that, ask you if you have eligibility left? It did. I'm not going to confirm or deny that it came up, but it could. <laughs> it could have. It could have. So, uh, but I, I only have maybe I have one good play and one holding penalty left in me. Okay. So I don't know if that helps. <laughs> What's kind of the program for? Uh, the Buffalo here as they go through getting ready for the Green and Gold game next week. 
Absolutely. So it's the spring is 15 practices, 15 sessions. Uh, 13 of them will be actual like on field practices of some sort, uh, whether it's walkthroughs or just kind of, you know, shells or, you know, or full pads. And then they'll have the intra squad game, the green and gold game, like you said, next week, May 4th. Uh, that's starting at 6. And then May 12th, they're taking on uh, Union County in an actual spring game, exhibition game. Uh, and that's going to start at 7 p.m. at Union County. A little bit of travel there. A little bit of travel, but <laughs> I think that's the you know that's the good thing about spring. You want to go out there and maybe get a test, maybe see a team that you know put your team in a position that they may be in later in the year, and you can then draw back and say, hey, remember when we were at Union County? We saw something like this. We went up against a team like this. We've been on this kind of road trip before, so it's it's all building blocks. I'm just gonna throw it out there. Union County will be a test. I watched a lot of their film last year, prepping for the game against Wildwood that that's never right. happened, but they were a really really strong. 1A school last year. I mean, they always are, but I mean, last year they were really, really solid. So a good scheduling move already by Coach Pettis for the spring. And it's and it was a home at home. Union County came to VHS last year, so now this is the second part of it. Now VHS will go to Union County, so that's a part of that two year home at home agreement. There we go, Drew. We'll bring you in. Talk a little bit about Wildwood. They have a few more pieces uh, at their disposal than uh, than VHS, but uh, they still have to replace some key parts. Yeah, a, a pretty big graduating class, especially for a one A school. Uh, uh, 10 seniors from last year's team gone to graduation, most of them starters. Almost all of those guys played two ways. And you're talking about your high-end athletes from this team. So your Zach Poyser, your Jamari Dickens, Vince Brown Jr., uh, Jeremiah Colbrooks. I mean, these guys were impact players who were on the field almost all the time. So uh, losing that group is definitely a big deal, not just from a talent standpoint, also from a culture standpoint. These are guys that have been in the program uh, since Vince Brown was the JV coach and they were freshmen. So, I mean, they had a, a strong relationship with the head coach, were uh, responsible for a lot of, you know, relaying his messages to the team. And, you know, that leading by example that JT was talking about, they kind of really embodied that by their senior year. And so they're kind of now hitting reset on a lot of that, lost a couple other pieces to transfers as well. So there is a, a small returning core coming back, some, you know, really, really quality players, but a lot more question marks going into this year than last year and on its face it's not super dissimilar from where the Wildcats were two years ago when that class of 2021 was graduating right, yeah but at the same time I think that there are more questions there are, at the time there were a lot of guys that were inexperienced but talented that we knew and the coaches knew were there and, and that those pieces were going to be there and eventually were going to be good enough to man all those positions. This year, I think that there are fewer sure things in that roster as of right now. I think that there's a lot of talent, but there are a lot of new faces in that locker room. So, I mean, I when I was there yesterday, I recognized maybe a third of the players wow. um, at Wildwood. And so for, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big turnover. The question marks, what's maybe the top one or two that Coach Brown's going to face? Well, quarterback is an obvious yeah. one. I mean, yeah. so we know um, that John John Harding never ended up playing quarterback for Wildwood last year. Uh, he ends up transferring to the Villages to yeah. play with his brother this year, uh, and he's not going to play quarterback. Uh, it, Taylor Keeler is the most apparent option. He got some backup reps last year, but we've never seen him play significant varsity minutes. So that'll be interesting. And I mean, Taylor Keeler's a, a great kid. I think he's got a, a good head on his shoulders. He's a competitor. Absolutely. He's got a great arm. He's going to be a, a regional qualifier in the javelin throw for their track and field team. Uh, but again, just haven't seen it. Quarterback's a whole different animal. It's not about just being able to make a throw. It's not about just being an athlete. You have to understand a lot of what's going on. So there's going to be a big development cycle for him here. Um, as far as other question marks, the offensive line, um, is always a, a bit of a question for Wildwood. You know, they don't have a ton of size. They are bringing back some of that group from last year. So that's always good. The secondary though is going to be a tough thing. There are a lot of guys who were able to be offensive specialists because that senior class from last year was so strong with guys playing two ways that senior class and Dedrick Grady, who also transferred to forest, uh, they they manned a lot of those spots. And so there are guys who have been playing receiver, playing running back that are ha also going to have to learn to play safety or linebacker or corner because they haven't spent a lot of time in those reps because those eight guys last year really occupied so much of the space on the field. 
How much does it help? Uh, we, we talk about Pettis in his 21st year, but Vince Brown has now been there for four years? Yes, this will be Vince Brown's fourth year. The continuity is something that's um, it's become a rarity at Wildwood, and yeah. that's for both good and bad reasons. They've had coaches that uh, just didn't last, and they've had coaches that, uh, like McKinley Roll, who was there for a year and then immediately got hired to a college program because they had an incredible turnaround. So, I mean, there's there's a mixed bag there. But um, Vince Brown Sr., I think, staying at that program, the way that he's built the culture, uh, the way that he's built the program, tried to make this a sustainable thing where he's had them in the playoffs every single year. They've been to a regional final. They've been to the regional semifinals the last two years. They've been competitive in their region in 1A. They've been competitive with teams locally when you talk about the Villages and Leesburg and South Sumter. So I think that what he's done and, you know, being able to continue growing that and building that, even with the roster turnover from last year to this year, you're somewhat confident that he's going to be able to continue building this upward. And even if it takes a slight step back, that the program is not going to just fall off because they lost a talented class. And the kids know him and he knows, even though... The talent level has has graduated a lot of it. He he knows who's coming in for the most part. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the good things. In a 1A school, you're going to get these waves of talent. Yeah. Recently, it seems like it's kind of been every other year where they've had these stronger classes. And so I think that it's big for the younger guys to have seen, okay, two years ago when we were freshmen, you know, going on sophomores, we kind of saw – what this cycle was like. We saw that group of guys who were juniors two years ago step in for that class of 2021 and figure it out and get back to it. And so if that's kind of the rhythm of, you know, these these cycles at Wildwood, then, you know, they know that Vince Brown knows how to navigate it. And I think that that gives them some confidence, even if they're not necessarily playing with the same kind of experience and talent that they have been in past years. Who's Coach Brown going to rely on in this spring to help bring bring the young guys along there are a couple guys uh trey brown is an obvious one obvious. Uh, i mean that's his nephew but uh this is it's not just a case of familiarity it's a case of trey brown is um he he's that guy i mean he right. is the guy that everybody is going to want to emulate the guys love him he's charismatic he's absolutely one of the hardest workers on any team he's ever on so i mean he's he's a perfect kind of lead by example type player like jt was talking about that you need in a football locker room and uh he's the guy who also backs it up on the field he's going to play two ways he's going to put up numbers uh and he's he's going to be the best player on the team more than likely uh, I think Terion Bryant could be a big emotional leader for this team. That's a guy that has you know taken a backseat to a lot of other guys. He's worked through some own, uh, some of his own personal issues and I think really grown over the last year, year and a half. Uh, and I think that he's going to be a big piece, especially on the defensive side. Um, I think that he's kind of going to be the, the energy, the heart and soul of that defensive front. So uh, we'll see if that bears out. But he's really committed to being that kind of guy, uh, at least so far this spring, that sort of charges up the defense emotionally. Uh, other than that, Andre Ryan, I could see stepping into a little bit bigger role. Uh, I think that Taylor Keeler, if he is the quarterback, is going to have to grow into a little bit more of a of a leader. He's He's been a good locker room guy. He's been a good teammate, but I think that he has to step up and take that role on. Uh, it's something that he's never been asked to do. Like I said, he's always been the the backup and sometimes the backup to the backup. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is you know uncharted territory for him. Again, assuming that he is the quarterback, that's nothing is certain right now. You know, Vince Brown's made it clear that every single position is uh, up for grabs right now. Nobody's coming in with a guaranteed spot. But I think that those three guys are going to have to be uh, key in in terms of leadership for them. What's the Wildcats schedule for the spring? Well, they've got the extra practices as well. I think yep. they're trying to get in 18 before their spring game. May 18th, they're going to be at Hernando. So over in Hernando County, roughly an hour away. Uh, not too bad of a drive. Uh, pretty pretty easy to get there. So uh, that should be a good game. They played them in a regular season matchup a couple of years ago. They've been uh, sort of an up and down team, but well-rounded, a lot of good athletes at that school. So that should be a, a pretty fun one, a good exhibition for them this spring. And so spring football is in the air. And uh, obviously we'll be looking forward to seeing what the results are at at the spring games first and then it's not that far away from august and we think about uh, when the real stuff starts going on so uh that's uh that 
That'll take care of the second segment for the Daily Sun Sports Podcast. JT, thanks for dropping in and uh, giving us your first day observations. Drew and I will be back, talk some golf right after this. From high school heroes to softball to the latest on the Village's Fairways, the Daily Sun brings you the best in local sports. Stay informed with the nation's fastest growing newspaper in the nation's fastest growing community. Subscribe to the Village's Daily Sun by calling 352-753-1119. Wrapping up today with Golf Talk, per usual, we had a major over the weekend on the LPGA, the Chevron Championship, and a familiar name just a couple weeks ago, it feels like. We were talking about Lilia Vu. She had her first LPGA win just recently and uh, added her second, and Jeff, not a bad spot to do at the Chevron Championship. Lilia Vu, uh, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how maybe she'd had a somewhat slow start to her career, uh, maybe a little bit of an underperformance coming out of a, a great career at UCLA, but now here she is as a major champion, and don't we look foolish. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get this out of my system? It's a Absolutely. case of deja vu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, but yeah, she uh, she's finally found her stride. Uh, the one the stride that we had all kind of expected maybe five years ago when she was coming out of college, a real college star, won eight tournaments out of UCLA. And sometimes you get into the pro ranks and it's a different rhythm than college. You've got to arrange your own travel. There's a lot of travel involved on the LPGA schedule mm-hmm. and you obviously don't have the sponsorship dollars that a PGA Tour Pro does. You don't have uh, the purses that a PGA Tour Pro does. And so kind of watch your pennies. And I think there's maybe a little bit more, I won't even say a little bit more, a lot more financial pressure to make everything work. And how does a young professional adjust to that? Well, I mean, there was a time where Lilia Vu thought about quitting the game. Uh, the pressure was was too much. She was not performing very well, and sometimes that's just a snowball effect. She decided she was going to step back to the Epson Tour. One couple times on the Epson Tour, I think the eight de- times, yeah, on the Epson Tour, and yeah. and was able to come back and found that confidence to win again. And now she is uh, doing extremely well. And uh, the, kind of the interesting thing about Sunday at the Chevron was she never led that day until after she had signed for her final round 68 and was waiting to see what was going to happen. Yeah, she had a great round, but uh, it really came down to her getting a chance because a couple players really you know, messed up on the back nine. Uh, Ataya Titical was in the hunt. Uh, Angel Yin was in the hunt. She ended up going to the playoff mm-hmm. with Lilia Vu. I mean, there and Nelly Corda was also in the conversation. She ended up finishing third, but uh, it was a a really tight leaderboard at the top. And like you said, Lilia Vu was in the clubhouse and she was just waiting and then ends up going to this playoff um, and it just played a really, really great hole on the first playoff with Angel Yin. Yeah, just a solid hole. And when your opponent, and let's face it, it's a match play situation at that point. When your opponent hits it in the water, you don't have to really make a hero play. And Angel Yin hit first on the playoff hole. Replay of the par 5 18th over at Carlton Woods. And it was just one of those unfortunately timed under pressure shots that uh, snap hooked and you kind of knew that something was going wrong when uh, Angel Yin finishes her swing and the first words out of her mouth are uh-oh <laughs> and easily picked up by the on-course microphones and, and sure enough it was uh, it wasn't even close to landing on dry land and so Lil- Lilia Vu uh, simply is able to change her thinking. She doesn't have to hit anywhere close to the pin. In fact, she made sure she wasn't going to go anywhere near that water. She went long. Um, And sometimes it's easy to do that because a lot of times they have those hospitality tents set up right behind. So even if you're going long and you have some adrenaline, you can bank it off the (laughs) bank it off the grandstand. But she went long Uh, had a chip that was a little bit of a pressure chip. She only left it 20 feet away to uh, face a birdie attempt. But again, she was dry and then perfectly read that birdie attempt to take any question out of it. Dropped the 20-footer and dropped the putter in in celebration and uh, a uh, a very good win for Vu, who 
was one of the rare players on that Sunday, a cold, windy Sunday, to break 70. So that 68 was an outstanding round. Angel Yin wasn't the only player who ended up hitting the water late in that round. A Tyatitical would have been in that playoff potentially were it not for hitting it into the water on 18. So uh, she kind of took herself out of contention on the last hole there, which is always a shame to see. But And that was a stunning shot too because it was was a shot that looked to to be right at the flag. And again, with the camera angle, you could tell that she was pretty pleased with the shot until it came down 10 yards short of where she thought it was going to come down. And it barely... Uh, miss dry land and went in right off the bank but you could just see that she was as shocked as anybody that it came down short I don't know whether it was a miss club or or what the situation was but she was at 10 ender if she was able to par that last hole she would have gotten into the playoff yeah and that's a it's a pretty devastating feeling to feel like you hit a good shot and then have it uh, hurt you in in that kind of way. So, uh, real real shame for her. It was not not fun to see that happen to her. That's for sure. Nelly Corda being third. I feel like she's been out of the headlines a lot over the last year. Obviously, dealt with the injury last year, uh, the comeback from the the medical issues. Um, not so much an injury as a, yeah. as a health concern. But yeah, um, but good to see her contending at a major again. And she was one of those that that kind of came off the pace. And if if she had been able to get a couple of putts just to go in. And she had a lot of putts that rolled over the edge or lipped out a little bit. She could have been right in it, but she she was never in that contending group, but shot a really strong back nine, just kind of kept moving up the leaderboard and moving up the leaderboard and everybody else kept coming down. Titicool, Alim Kim, some of those players, Allison Corpus, and before you knew it, Nellie Corda wound up third, and that was enough to get her back to number one in the world rankings. All around great tournament, really fun. Congratulations to Lilia Vu. Um, hopefully she's, I feel like, kind of emerging as one of the stars Uh, at least of the year. Certainly once you win a major, you qualify for that. But hopefully getting into some regular contention after the journey that it took her just to get to the LPGA and then to start to find success. And I think she's now put herself in a really great position to be a solid player on the U.S. Solheim Cup team come this fall. And I'm kind of hoping that Lilia Vu has her health this week because taking that plunge into the pond next to 18, (laughs) it's not jumping into Poppy's Pond, which was a completely sanitized place over at uh, uh, over at Mission Hills in California. That when she and her caddy uh, hit the water, the cameras caught it perfectly. It was green yeah. water. Yeah, coming it was. Up. It was kind of frightening. The uh, yeah, not a not a pleasant visual. Um, something that uh, you know, good for her. I would not have done it myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see. A, I see a marketing uh, opportunity here. Uh, the the Champions Plunge sponsored by Pfizer Pharmaceuticals or something go, that of that nature. Green, because yeah. I I think that there should be some antibiotics after <laughs> after that jump. And and the other thing that 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 has occurred to me uh, in when you do it in California. I mean, yes, you can have slimy water and all that, but the California desert does not have alligators. Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> so, so. I, I'm sure they cleared them out. I'm sure they cleared them out of any, you know, water snakes, but that's a much dicier proposition than it was in California. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving on, we also had an event on the PGA Tour, the Zurich Classic. Uh, Nick Hardy and Davis Riley get their first PGA Tour wins. Uh, they each, I guess, get a win for this. So, they do. Uh, it's a, a it's fun historical. Event. It is. Uh, it's, it's a fun event for... Um, for a couple of guys to get their first win at obviously one of the more unique formats with the uh, the team aspect to it Jeff walk us through what Hardy and Riley had to do to get this W and when I say it's historical it's the first time in PGA Tour history and this is a little bit of an esoteric stat because they don't play that many team events on the PGA Tour anymore but they used to as back you know in the 70s and even when Byron Nelson and Jug McSpadden were were teammates and things like that uh, back in the 40s but this is the first time that Two players have scored their first PGA Tour victories simultaneously because it happened in a team event. But they played a fantastic Sunday in the alternate shot format. 
to be able to score a 65, come from three shots off the pace, and uh, and and win their first trophy. Uh, Longtime friends, as a lot of players are when they uh, go through the junior ranks together, you keep seeing guys turn up at the same tournaments, and so they had a familiarity with each other, uh, but uh, were able to take advantage of uh, a faltering Wyndham Clark and Bo Hostler, who a lot of people thought you know, we're able, we're going to be able to score a win there for Bo Hostler. It would have been his first PGA Tour win for Wyndham Clark, just his second, but they stumbled with a Sunday 71, let a lot of players back in, and Riley Hardy able to take advantage. Yeah, uh, great for them. And uh, not a bad title defense either by Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantlay. Obviously, they won last year. They finished tied for fourth on the weekend. And they, uh, they played very solid. They did not have a round worse than 68 in either format. They just didn't necessarily have that great round that would have vaulted them a little bit further up the leaderboard. Uh, there was a 63 on Saturday in best ball by Hardy and Riley that I think put them within arm's length of being able to uh, to do something. But uh, some, in, in this format, especially when you get to that best ball format, you've got to shoot in the low 60s to put yourself in position. Not to devolve into schedule talk again because I we spent too much time on it last week, but this is another <laughs> event that I feel like gets hurt because of its placement because, it, again, the Masters was two weeks ago. We had a designated event last week. None of the biggest names other than Cantlay and Shoffley and then Matt Fitzpatrick, who played with his brother. Uh, I feel like this this event was really lacking for that top talent. But I want to see a lot of these duos like I'd love to see Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas. I mean, there are tons of interesting pairings that you can make on the PGA Tour with guys that know each other, guys that are friendly. Uh, that would be fun to watch play uh, in an event like this. So I, I just think that this is another one. Uh, again, we, we lost the WGC. I think that a lot of these more varied format events uh, need a little bit of time to, to breathe in the schedule, need a little bit more emphasis because uh, I want to see the good players playing the interesting, interesting tournaments. Yeah, definitely so. And that's why the PGA Tour is maybe their number one priority now is to figure out the 2024 schedule. How is this going to look going forward with the new designated event format, with being able to try and space things out, a couple of big events followed by two or three smaller events so that maybe some of these guys will go play one of the smaller events, fill out their schedule a little bit that way. But uh, it, like you, I enjoy the non-traditional Four rounds, 72 holes, stroke play. I, I like seeing different things just kind of scattered throughout the year. And so, yeah, wouldn't it be great to see Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth pair up before the Ryder Cup? Yeah. Uh, anything of that nature, uh, I, I think, would bring a great audience. And then we also had a live golf event over uh, down under, actually, Taylor Gooch, who had, uh, I think, you know, by a lot of accounts, been underperforming a little bit, uh, given his competition on the Live Tour, comes out with a victory, um, built a huge lead, and then tried to tried to give it away a little bit, maybe, but ended up hanging on and winning over in Australia. Yeah, and uh, that would have been really. It might have made bigger headlines if he had lost a 10-shot lead going to the final round. But uh, even a 71 wasn't uh, enough to to do. Uh, to, even a 71 wasn't enough to make that happen. He did sputter. Yeah, a 73 lets a lot of people back into it. But with a 10-shot cushion, you are able to kind of keep everybody at arm's length. And even with the 73, he winds up tying the uh, all-time scoring record with at 19 under but he was he was hot as a pistol on Friday and Saturday and that's the kind of player that we see sometimes from Taylor Gooch and he was one of those rising stars on the PGA Tour before he made the leap so in terms of his performance it didn't necessarily surprise me that he was able to win here and uh, I think we'll see a few more victories on LIV out of Taylor Gooch. Uh, Anurban Lahiri uh, is the closest uh, makes a run with a 65 so he came from 11 shots off the pace to at least make a make a run 
run at it. And just a side note, we don't talk about the LIV teams too much, but it is interesting that uh, Gooch was maybe the first trade or free agent coming out of LIV because he played last year for four aces, which ran away with team everything last year. He actually requested a trade, if you can understand this as golf, but he had requested a trade over to the Range Goats, that's Bubba Watson's team, so that he could play with Harold Varner III, a good friend of his. So uh, Dustin Johnson gave him his release. He joined the Range Goats, and then uh, the uh, four aces go and sign Peter Uline, a former U.S. amateur champion, and the four aces are still being the four aces. They wind up winning the team title, even though Taylor Gooch was running away with everything individually uh, over the range goats. And then moving on, what do we have coming up this week? It seems like it's going to be another busy one. It is going to be a busy one, not necessarily one that has something that automatically draws your eye. The PGA Tour is in Mexico for the Mexico Open, and John Rahm is the defending champion, the reigning Masters champion, the sentimental favorite and the heavy favorite because there's only two top 20 players in the field him and Tony Finau so they will be uh, playing uh, down in Mexico for that one the LPGA might be a little bit more interesting they uh, go back to the west coast for the DO implant LA open and uh, as a indicates that's in Los Angeles that's Lilia Vu's hometown so she returns to her hometown now as a major champion it's also the hometown for Angel Yin as it turns out to be but uh, it is a good field at Wilshire Country Club eight of the top 10 in the women's rankings Uh, Brooke Henderson is a former champion there and so maybe that's the one that immediately jumps out and if you happen to have insomnia and can find it somewhere LIV Golf is playing back-to-back weeks in back-to-back countries. They go to Singapore for their next event. Uh, The venue is a little bit recognizable, Santosa Golf Club. It has hosted a number of European tour events, Asian tour events. 17 of the LIV Golf players have teed it up at Santosa at one time or another in their careers. And maybe the question is, now that we're four events into the LIV season, we have had four different winners can we see a fifth different winner individually on the LIV Golf Tour? Now, remains to be seen. We'll let you know next week when we come back with more golf talk on the Daily Sun Sports Podcast, as well as all the rest of the sports that we cover. Maybe we'll get back into the NBA next week. Of course, we'll have more uh, preps playoffs to update you on when we come back. Baseball and softball will be getting into their district tournaments at that point. So looking forward to that podcast. We appreciate you joining us this week. Uh, always grateful that you guys choose to, to spend some time with us uh, every week on the podcast. So uh, if you have a moment, please like, rate, and review the podcast as well. I'm obligated to ask you to do that, but we do uh, truly appreciate it. So uh, before we head out, I want to say thank you to Jeff Shane. Thank you to JT Wilcox. Thank you to our sports editor, Chris Siegel, for uh, his continued support. And until next week, we'll see you out on the playing fields. <laughs>